feel like Mr. Bean in the spotlight. Okay, all right, everybody. How was it? <sighs> when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. Put away the childish things. When I became a man. God is growing his church. God is doing housekeeping in the house. I see this place moving in the spirit. I see walls being pushed out. I see pictures being taken down and other pictures being put up because the master of the house says it, it's been sufficient up to now, but you have to enlarge because, and I don't like some of the furniture and I don't like some of the furnishings and it, you might be emotionally attached to somebody says, but it's going because the master of the house wants to uh, re-inhabit this place and fill this house in a whole new dimension. It's refurbishment time. It's restructuring time. And there's a time for putting away childish things. And uh, childish things are the things that once upon a time perhaps worked in the past, but they're not working today. And thank God he says, I do a new thing. Behold, I do an old thing. Behold, I do something we used to do. Now he says, behold, I do a new thing. Um, what God is, is doing in your midst and what he's about to do in your midst and what he's about to do with the church, you have no idea what it is. You might think you know what it is. You may uh, have an inkling of what it is, but I just about guarantee you have no idea what it is and what he's going to do in and through you exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or even think. And he, I'm saying, I'm preaching to myself too. He says, you think you know what's coming. You think you know what I'm about to do. You have no idea. It's beyond the parameters of your understanding at this stage. He says, but all you have to do now is position yourself and be in the place so when the, op when the doors come that you're, you're able to walk straight in. Yeah? What we're doing today is a result of what we did yesterday. And what we do tomorrow is a result of what we do today. And therefore, we must prepare. We must position ourselves we're about to go somewhere we've never been before. And uh, it's great to be here. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Enjoy for your hospitality, your open heart, your open house. And um, uh, this church is legendary. You've been in the nation for you know, decades now. We've been in the, in the East Coast for 19 years. And uh, when we first came to, to Gisborne, uh, the church, there was four of us, me, Jess, Kelly, and Tanya. And uh, we started the church. Oh, there's five of us with Jesus. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he had to be there, he had to be there. And uh, we started a little school hall at De Harper School, and uh, we said to one another, well, if nobody comes, I'll be the preacher, Jess can be the superintendent of Sunday school, Kelly can be in charge of the youth and Tanya, you can take up the offering and be in charge of communion. And so we'll have time with God in this. But amazing, 36 people turned up. We'd never been to Gisborne in our life, we didn't know anybody there. Uh, we never, uh, and nobody knew us, but we knew God had called us to build a house, build a church there for him. And uh, so 36 people turned up in, in, the, in the morning and 31 turned up at night. We went straight into morning and night services. And, um, and that was amazing. As I turned the lights out that night, God said, You'll, you've seen nothing yet. And uh, next Sunday, wow, there was 23 in the morning and 27 at night. Oh, the next Sunday, there was 16 in the morning. It just went... <laughs> <laughs> you see nothing yet. <laughs> but we knew God was up to something. It wasn't what we could see with these eyes. It was something in our spirit. But after that fourth week, then it went up. It went up. Within four years, we had 500 in just our morning service. 
and uh, eight, 95 to 90% of them uh, from the streets, not transfer growth, not church hoppers. No, that's not, that's not building a church. That's playing spiritual musical, uh, uh, musical chairs. And, and so God birthed something on the East Coast through signs and wonders and miracles and the love of God. And it's incredible. And, um, but the problem is, as quick as they're coming in the front door, they're going out the back door. <laughs> we would have at least 3,000 people in the church now if they all stuck. If everyone had put their hand up and prayed this in his prayers, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And, um, and so after 10 years... We had a huge following, huge uh, group of people coming along on Sunday. We we're impacting the nation. We we're on national television twice, uh, uh, free marketing through the nation overseas. Our, our program that was on assignment was uh, won a, a, um, a world award over in New York as uh, something of the best uh, documentary of the year. God thrust us out into the nations. And uh, we were touching the nation, Austria, Germany, Switzerland, Malaysia, Fiji. We were seeing signs and wonders everywhere we went. And I mean signs and wonders. I mean blind people being healed, eyes opening up, completely blind. I mean the dead being brought back to life. I mean signs, I mean miracles, not just little headache. Oh, I've got a headache, it's better now. I mean real miracles, real signs, real wonders. And we thought we were doing something. We thought we were going somewhere. Problem is that some of my leaders were smoking. <clears throat> some of my leaders were teaching against tithing. Some of my leaders had another agenda where the church should go. Most of my intercessors were into witchcraft. I didn't have intercessor groups, I had covens. <laughs> and I wondered why it seemed so hard preaching at the front. That's like I was being scored and I was being taken home for lunch. But I wasn't there. <laughs> I was being devoured. I was being be, uh, eaten. And um, one day, me and Jess says, we hate church. <laughs> we hate coming to church. And, 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 and I cried out, what have I done? And he says, you have a crowd. You don't have a church. You have a crowd. You have a circus. And you're the biggest clown. <laughs> they come to see and act. Because... We, the, because it's hard to, to keep these signs and wonders going, you know. It's hard to, to, to you know, how do you top the last miracle last Sunday? Yeah, when, when a blue mist comes in the room, what are you going to do next Sunday to top that? When a man with eight tumors on his back suddenly stands up completely healed, oh, hallelujah, how are you going to top that next Sunday? It sounds fun. And people came to see the signs and wonders. They came to see the show. But we weren't building a house. We weren't building a church that was bringing spiritual, social, and economic change into our city. The city is just as sinful, just as violent. The poor are just as poor. The wicked are just as wicked. We were just a crowd, he said. You're not a church because a church will break down the gates of hell. A church will change atmospheres and systems politically, socially, economically. It will bring the people out of darkness, out of poverty, out of illiteracy, out of drug addiction. And we're doing that in a small part, but he says, you're not doing it in the part that I've called you to do. You're just caring for... Anyway, uh, God insulted me and said, you know... <laughs> build me a house from Haggai 1 build me a house I take pleasure in and I will be glorified I thought I am building you a house he said no according to my pattern he said I'm building my church not yours and after 10 years I found out a lot of things what not to do some things what to do and some things what not to do and what not to do is to have a divided leadership what not to do is to think assume because we're all in one place 
that we're all in one accord. And I assume because they all love Jesus that we'll all give our best and that no leader will, 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 will backbite. No leader will, will act like a heathen to the, to the saints. Of course, I assumed that you know, we all love God and we'll all walk with integrity and honor and respect and dignity to one another because that's how me and Jess walk. So I assumed everybody else would walk like that. And, uh, but assumption can kill you. And uh, I overdosed in grace, and I just let, I, I believe in everybody. I do, I really do. But I was believing in leaders who are in gross and that they will come right, they will come right. And uh, Jesus said to me, if you don't fix the house up, I'm out of here. And I wept. God, what have I done? I built Frankenstein. <laughs> what have I done? Hey. And he says, that's all right, son. You got another, yeah, start building the house according to the pattern I show you. And so, we learned some things. And I'm just going to share some of those things. I'm going to share some points. And that will be relevant to you. I've not just come here just to share a message that I share anywhere else. This is a prophetic message tailor-made for this house. I spent time before God. I spent time in council with Jesus to share that which builds you up. I'm not here to tell you what you can't do, by the way. I'm here to tell you what you can do and, and help you release your potential from, uh, uh, from potential into reality. And so... Uh, I submit unto Pastor Mike. He's the authority. He's the father. He's the apostle of this house. I'm not here to go beyond what he's doing. I'm here to serve him and to serve you. I love you guys. I mean, you're a fan though. And we're here to serve you and to, to help you. I, and, they, and so this church is legendary. When we came to the East Coast, this is pumping. I, I thought there were about 800 people at least here. I mean, I walked in there. Like, Whoa, angels walking around. They're just the ushers. Oh, man, this is an amazing place. <laughs> And, uh, and here we had up in Gizzi at that stage. We only had about, I don't know, maybe 100 people at that time. And we were so inspired. If God can do that here, he can do it in Gizzi. Yeah. And you have been a source of inspiration and encouragement. I, I'm, I'm not um, licking your boots here. Okay, I, I don't do that. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, trying to flatter you. I'm not. I'm, I'm straight up. If, you, if you're crap, I'll tell you you're crap. And if you're good, I'll tell you you're good. I, I'm not trying to flatter you, I'm telling you the truth. This has been a church that has impacted on us and the seed of what you have done has blessed us and helped us go to new heights. And you have done great things. God has done great things through this church. And you are in transition. You're being repositioned for something even greater beyond what you've ever seen and ever known. I've got a prophetic word I'll share tomorrow morning. Uh, Jesus walked into the room early this morning and started speaking to me. And saying, here, I shared it with Pastor Mike. He thinks it's okay, so I'll be sharing it with you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so, so I come in the name of the Lord. God is birthing something, okay? Don't give up pushing until the thing's out. There's <laughs> a bit of blood and guts, but here, you're in transition. You're in transition. There's, there's repositioning going on. And um, okay. Point number one, don't walk off the job. <laughs> what a Nehemiah build. What, what did Nehemiah build? What was his wall? What did Ezra build? The temple? Yeah. So what we see is that we see a generation sequential job had to be done. God is prophetic. He is building things from one generation to another. And the thing is, Nehemiah had to build the walls first. He was faithful in his job, his mahi. And then Ezra comes along and he builds the temple. Now, everything was done in structure and order. God wants to build something in this church, in this city, in this nation. Thank God Nehemiah didn't walk off the job halfway through because he got ho-ha with the pastor. He got ho-ha with the work. Yeah, what's God doing? I, thank God he didn't walk off the job. 
he kept his hand to the plow and didn't look back until he completed the walls. Then the next gen- the next crow papa, the next generation could come. Ezra comes and Haggai and Zerubbabel and they build the temple. Hallelujah. Thank God they didn't walk off. Well, actually, they did walk off the job if you read it at Haggai. They started rebuilding the temple. Then they got busy with building their own house. And they neglected the house and God stopped the heavens over them. He'd come back and, and, and the prophet says, you know, consider your ways. The rain stopped. The, the blessings stopped coming. The harvest stopped coming. What's the problem? And he says, this is a problem. My house is in ruins while you're busy doing your own thing. You have walked off the job of what I created and destined you for. You are here to build my house, not your house. Seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. And you see, what we see in history is that God can build anything, do anything, but the problem is his people walk off the job halfway through. As in the days under the Moses generation, they walked off the job. God can bring revival to old Aotearoa, but he can't find enough churches who will stay on the job. He can't find enough Christians who don't keep walking off the job. I'm not God's first choice for Tairafiti. He told me that. He says, but you can make sure you're the last choice. <laughs> He said, you're not my first choice. Uh, Others have come, walked off the job. There have been 19 churches, uh, 20 churches start and close in the 19 years that I've been in Gisborne. And every pastor says, God sent me. Right, whatever. God sent me to do a job. And I cannot walk off the job. And sometimes I felt like, (laughs) but I can't walk off the job. Because what am I going to pass on to my kids and my grandkids? We've got to be the men of the, of, 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 in, our, our, in our time in history. We've got to do what no church has ever done before. If you, want to, if you just keep doing what you've always done, you'll always be where you've always been. And if you're going to be a church, you want to be a church to go beyond where any other church has gone beyond in the city, then you've got to think beyond what any other church thinks. You've got to think beyond the way you used to think. And it's scary, but exciting. I'm a bit of a nutter anyway, so I'll, I'll have a go. You guys must be too, because your pastor is. <laughs> He's a crazy Holy Ghost man. And so, point number one, don't walk off the job. Nehemiah didn't. He set it up for the next job. Ezra came, and, and he, he built, they built the temple. They set it up for the next generation, and the next generation. We've got to bring sequential generational breakthrough here. Don't walk off the job. Don't walk off the job. Oh, I'm following Jesus, pastor. Well, Jesus says, if you're following him... You're not going to walk off the job. Yeah? Faithful to the end. Amen? Faithful to the end. If you put your hand to the plow, he says, don't look back. I'm following Jesus. Well, how come you're looking back? (laughs) Jesus doesn't go backwards. That's the first point. Um, Point number two. Uh, Let's just get for it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go right to the jugular. Make it easy for your pastor through this time of transition. Just imagine you're you're an army. You're all soldiers, and you're fighting for the cause. Not your cause, but his cause. Amen? The cause of the kingdom and the lost. Right? That's, you have a gift. You have a ministry as a gift. It's like a, maybe a weapon. And, okay, you've got your weapon. You're in uniform, and you're in rank. You're in your place. Pai, it's awesome. Right? <clears throat> but there's reshuffling coming in the ranks. Not because of your pastor, but because of you. You said to God, I heard it. He told me, you said, God, whatever you want to do, I will let you. 
And he is only answering the prayers that have been coming up out of this house. The new thing you want to do, God, we will do. You were singing it just before. <laughs> I say he's only answering your prayer, and he's, answering, and he's going to reshuffle in this time of transition. You are soldiers. Keep thinking objective. You are soldiers with a weapon, and together you're going to help build the army to, for God's kingdom, for his cause. Make it easy for your captain in the house. Go to him with your weapon and say, I know I have been serving frontline or serving over here. With Where do you think I should serve? Am I in the right position? Where do you think I, do I need to be reshuffled? Make it easy for him. If only I, and I did, we had guys in our church who were humble enough to say, well, I've always done this, but if, if I'm not where God wants me to be, if you, don't, if you don't think I should be doing what I'm doing anymore, you tell me. Because I want to be positioned for where God wants me. Because you're only going to prosper where God plants you. See, your ministry is not your security. Your relationship with Christ is your, is your security. If your ministry is your security, if it's the reason for being in your life is your ministry, uh, you need to get born again. <laughs> First to God, commandment, love me. Second, love man. Your ministry to love man is not your God, is not your basis of, of identity. Your identity is based on your relationship with God, not on your work for God, your relationship with God. And we found in our transition that there are warriors in our house that were in ministry. And I said, you're a round peg in a square hole. That's why we have problem in Sunday school. You're a round peg in a square hole. That's why we're having problem in the youth. And, and you want to prosper? You're, you need to go into this position, and you need to go into this position. And they were humble enough, some of them were humble enough to say, I'm only a soldier here for the cause of the kingdom. Wherever you want me, I will go. And they have prospered, and they have flourished. Some others thought I was ripping their teeth, ripping their throat out. How God say, I've always been in this ministry. How dare you? God put me here. Now, I appointed you there, and I can disappoint you there, from there too. <laughs> And I love you too much to, put you, to make you be a blockage for the rest of the army. Because on the front lines, you're in the wrong place. And you're a danger to not only to yourself, but you're a danger to the rest of your brothers and sisters. Not only that, God told me to put this house in order. Who do you think you are? Oh, I'm nobody. I'm crap. But he put me here. So I guess I know, I know the plan. He's, he's called to build this house. If I have to follow my intercessors for direction of where this church is going, you're in trouble. My intercessors, I don't, they don't lead me. They support with not directive prophecy, but they, they support with you know, supportive prophecy, and they confirm what God is already saying, and so forth. And, and, and so you know, everything is to support. David's men. David's mighty men. Mighty men. How did they become mighty? When they came to David, they weren't that mighty. They were disenchanted. They were in debt. They were, they were a mess. But they brought their warrior gift. They brought their talent, what they had. And they laid it at David's feet. And they said, I oh, will use my gift to make you successful. And in that they made David successful and the cause of God successful, they became successful. They became the mighty men. They became the mighty men. When I served Pastor John Ballantyne in Omaru, my gift was to serve him, to lift him's ministry in order to extend the kingdom through this church in Omaru. That was my, that's my joy. 
because this pleased God. My relationship with God, it pleased them. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. My gift was not my source of security. My relationship with Jesus was and is. And so he placed me wherever he wanted me. <laughs> Hand up the hymn books, can't play. Open the prayer meeting, can't play. Open the church, six in the morning, oh, cold down south. Can't play. Whatever you want, wherever you want me, I am but a servant. I am a man under authority. And he be God began to promote me. And Pastor John says, I think you need to be the next pastor of this church where others were in line before me. And uh, but God said, no, you're the one. I don't, I'm not looking positioned. Isn't it right? You don't look for it and God keeps throwing it at you. And the ones who try to push it and push it to get it, <laughs> they go green. <laughs> now the lesson I found, <laughs> deal with any deep insecurity in your life before you come onto the front lines. Deal with any deep insecurity, unresolved emotional trauma or issues. Deal with it before you come onto the front lines because you're going to come under pressure you've never come under before. And if that crap's still in your life, it's going to come out. It will come out. And you can't afford to crack up on the front lines. You're a danger to yourself and you're a danger to the, to the soldiers with you. And so <clears throat> you don't have to be perfect. You just have to get over insecurity. You've got to get over how you look in the eyes of man. You've got to get over how you look in, the, in your own eyes. You've got to be established in who you look in the eyes of God. Personal security in God. Personal conf confidence in God comes from confidence before God, not before man. And I discovered that some of my leaders, they had so much insecurity in them and that they were using their ministry as a crutch to feel good about themselves. And whenever they talked to people, they'd say, this is what God's doing through me and God's doing this through me. Well, where's Jesus in this? But God's doing, done that through me and God's doing this through me. And trying to... You know, impress people. I say, that's not right. Something doesn't smell right here. And it was my fault. I put wrong, I put round pegs and square holes. I put leaders who weren't prepared yet. And, uh, and we had burnouts. We had blowouts. We had problems. Um, and that's, that's what was happening through our transition time. I don't know where you are in this transition, but hey, it's all right. It's all right. If you're just a soldier of a God, for goodness sake, we're building the army. You have a gun? Ask your captain, am I in the right place? <laughs> and if your confidence is in God, you'll have no problem doing that. But if your confidence is in your ministry, and if your ministry is your little comfort blanket, I ain't going to do that. He might take it off me. <laughs> It'd be a good thing because you might find true security in God. Okay? Make it easier for your pastor. Say, am I in the right place? You have full, I give you permission to put me where you think, to move me where you think. Man, I wish somebody came and said this to me, Pastor Mike, when we were going through it. <laughs> it would have been so much easier. Instead, I had to go around to people and say, listen, you've borne no fruit for the last four years in your life. The ministry's crap. I've got to chop, chop you down. <laughs> Given you three years, and still no fruit. I dunged you around and still no fruit. Obviously, your use-by date is gone or there's something in your life that isn't right. How dare you talk to me like that? Look, I'm objective. I'm here to build something. I'm not here to, you know, I'm here to be friendly, but not, I'm, not, I'm here to build God's kingdom, not your ministry. My, Pastor Mike and Joe aren't here to build your ministry. This church isn't here to build your ministry. Your ministry is here to build their ministry. Your ministry is here to build this church. And we have had people come and go from our church for years. They don't come anymore because we're too, too on to it. But they thought, they, they, they thought that I'm there to build their ministry. 
I'm not here to build your ministry, man. Jesus ain't building your ministry. Yeah, you've been building my ministry. <laughs> He's building his church, man. <sighs> and my gift is to build his church by empowering you and equipping you for the work of the ministry. It's to build your ministry, yes, to serve the house and to serve our to serve humanity, to serve our people. <sighs> so God's not into building ministries. The day of the superstar is over. The man, that man of power, that uh, whatever was it, how's it going? The man of power, God's man of power for the hour. Ah, he fell off the stage. <laughs> All God's men and women of power for this hour. Amen. It is the body, but the body in function, the body operating in order. So dysfunctional society is a result of dysfunctional families, dysfunctional parents. Uh, breed dysfunctional children who become dysfunctional problems in society. It's the truth. Not PC, but it's the truth. Okay? And so the kid out there who's ripping off someone's car, raping some poor woman, uh, graffitiing someone's business, it's because of the values that they've been brought up with. Disrespect, dishonor for other people, disrespect for your property, disrespect for human life, disrespect for women. The values that have been ingrained in them through the upbringing of a dysfunctional parenting, dysfunctional household produces dysfunctional children that produce a dysfunctional society. <clears throat> and so it is with the church. The church for years has had lots of dysfunctional children who don't have the value of honor and respect and dignity and, and, and mana before God and before one another, treat one another with the way Jesus would treat us. And if there's not that mana of God, the values of heaven in the house, we're just a dysfunctional church making a dysfunctional impact. And God said that to me about our church. He said, your church, you've got some good people and you've got people in there who are worse than the sinners. And you think I'm going to use you to change the East Coast? You think I'll use this church to bring an agent of change? You need changed first. Doesn't mean be perfect. Doesn't mean religion. It just means live a life that honors, teach your people to live a life that honors me. Starting where? With the leaders. So guess what? You guys get it hit first. <laughs> this new thing God does, he, he gets the leaders first because it hits the head first. Psalm 133, how precious is the anointing of God. It flows upon the head, even the beard of Aaron, and upon the robes. The robes cover the body, don't they? So symbolically, it talks about the head, Christ the head, but the anointing, the oil, the blessing comes upon the head, the leadership, and then upon the body. And so if there's division in the head, there'll be division in the body. If the head is sick, the body will be sick. And God said to me, you've got to get your head ready. You've got to get your head in alignment with me. You've got to get your leaders, one mind, one heart, one voice. I said, but we're all in one place. He said, but not one accord. <laughs> Just because you're all in one place doesn't mean you're in one accord. Acts 2. They're in one place, one accord. One mind, one heart, one voice. And so I'm going to show you how generational values pass down. Uh, Here's God and heaven. Heaven. Heaven's values are respect, honor, love, dignity, etc., etc. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the church. The functional, the functional house. Okay, the pastor, the apostle, shall I say. These values must be in his heart. Amen? Got to be in the leader's heart. Yep. And then these values passed down 
into the other leaders. Yeah, it's a family. There's a father, we're a, we're a whanau. And then it passed down from the leaders into the people in the church. In our church, me and Jess, we, we had these values and some of our leaders, but some of our leaders didn't. And as a result, uh, some of my people were living dysfunctional. Some I not the house, living in adultery. Heaven doesn't, it's not heaven. That's not honoring God, amen. Consequently, we had a divided house. Divided house. And what did Jesus say will happen to a divided house? Will fall. And here I am trying to take the East Coast with an army, with a divided house. He said, it ain't going to work. Build me a house I take pleasure in. And so we had to rechange things. You see, when people come into the house, into the church, in our church we have a... First person you meet if you come into the church, you'll meet the guy at the gate, at the car park, uh, coming to the, the car park. You'll meet a guy at the gate. He will have my smile. He will be smiling, man. Whether he feels like it or he'll be smiling. Right? Represent. Represent the kingdom. Represent Christ. He's representing us. His ministry is to make mine successful. And if he does that, I can make him successful. We need one another. Right? He, yeah, he's a mighty man. I'm a David. He's a mighty man. Okay, I, I want to raise mighty men. And so, say, provided he's got these values operating in him, okay. next person you'll meet is somebody will open the door of your car. If it's raining, there'll be somebody there with a little umbrella to walk you over to the door. Next person you'll meet is the usher at the door. Smiley, smiley, smiley. The next person you'll meet is, uh, I will be the worship team. And then you'll... Uh, You'll uh, hear me, or Jess, or a preacher. And then if you get saved, you'll meet the Uffy team. And uh, then the Uffy team, uh, uh, they'll look after you, and they'll put you in foundations. You'll meet the foundations teachers. And once you meet the foundations teachers, you get put into a ministry of serving. <laughs> After serving for six months, you get placed in your passion gift, whether it's music or evangelism. Just because you've got a gift, you don't get put in that ministry. We don't know whether you're a, a, a wolf or a lamb. And so we want to check your character out first, not your gift. Because even donkeys can prophesy. <laughs> we want to check your character out. Are you, do you have our DNA? I am among you as one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. And I find that when we have the culture of serving, the presence of God is always among us. I am among you. Is one who serves. Jesus says the greatest, uh, the greatest gift to have, the greatest ministry to aim for is serve. Be the least. Be the least. And so we we got to get that DNA. We got to get this uh, this uh, uh, the value of honor, respect, and servanthood. We got to get this culture inside in them. Okay? We, we build our church systematically and strategically. It's not a charismatic church anymore. <laughs> oh well, Lord, if it's Thy will, will. Mrs. Bucket Bucketmouth used to get up in the church and we didn't even know who she was. But the Lord is saying he is not happy with his church. He must fast 40 days a night. And I used to be such a charismatic nut. I thought, well, that must be God. Must be God. Well, church, well, I thought we were doing well, actually. You know, we, we just saved a lot of people. Okay, we've got to fast and pray for 40 days and nights. Who gives her the right to come here and spew her garbage? You know, I was so dumb. Building charismatically, not everything is God that people say is God. 
Let everything be tested. Let everything be done in the house in order and decently. God's not a stupid God. God builds strategically. He builds systematically and he builds for a purpose. And he uses wise people. <laughs> Why am I showing you this? I'm showing you this, that we have to train this fellow here. He's in a servant ministry. And he's got the DNA of the house. Respect, honor, love, forgiveness, mercy. He should be like Jesus. Amen? He should be like Jesus. Not just like me. He should be like Jesus. Okay. And so when we teach this to our new converts, they, they come out with that DNA in them. One mind, one heart, one voice. You can't just assume that everybody's going to have the same heart that you have. You've got to teach them. The disciples followed Jesus for three years, and they caught his heart. They caught his mind. They caught his values. They saw how he did stuff. They caught it. It's not taught, it's caught, yeah? And they produced it through them. And so problem is, if in my Afi group, the ones that Afi, the new Christians, if they don't show respect to God, if they don't show respect, say they just say, well, I have a problem with coming to church, and it's like you don't need to come to church every Sunday, you know, just every now and again. But we teach Psalm 92, 13, Blessed are those who are planted in the house of God. They shall prosper and flourish in the courts of our God. That being in the house on Sunday should be a priority. Unless, of course, yeah, it's night shift, whatever. But within reason, you should be in the house of God. Where was Jesus on the Sabbath? Where would you find him? In the house of God, in the synagogue? Well, that's where I want to be. Sunday is not my day, it's his day. Now, that's the law, Pastor. You don't know what you're talking about, the law. He's talking about the ceremonial laws of passed away, not the moral laws. <laughs> You ain't got to follow them. I can go murdering and rape and, and commit adultery. That was the law. Uh, 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 religious nutters. Uh, so, so, so you could be in the house of God. But imagine my leaders say, no, you have to be in the house of God every Sunday. Come every now and again. We teach you tithe. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Invest in the kingdom of God. by bringing. It's not even your tithe. The Bible says it's his, number one. Tithe and bring offerings. Come on, invest in the social, economic, and spiritual transformation of our city. Because uh, I, I gave 50% of my what, tithe to the devil, at least 50%, every week when I was in the world. 10% is the least I can give God. Amen. So we teach you no know, values like that. We teach about getting trained. You don't go into ministry until you've had your character you know, dealt with. Imagine if one of my links in the chain says, nah, nah, we don't, we don't agree with that. Pretty soon, we're gonna, what are we going to be producing? We're like a factory. We're like a hospital. We're birthing babies. We're birthing children. And if they've got divided values because of some of my leaders teaching wrong stuff, we're going to have a church of one mind, one heart, one voice. Pastor, that's controlling and legalism. Whatever. <laughs> you call it what you like. I think it's called discipline. <laughs> discipline. It's a disciplined life. Shouldn't they be at church on Sunday? Shouldn't they be giving tithes to the house of God? Or are you just a tokenism Christian? <laughs> Jesus said, follow me. Forget you, follow me and build my house. Well, that's all I'm doing. That's all I've learned. So, well, we don't agree with that. Well, there's another church down the road for you. It's called the Church of the Non-Tithing Smoking Adulterous. That's a good church for you. They believe in smoking, adultery, and not tithing. Hi, ra. That's why I send them. 
I say, you're, not, we're, you're joining us, we're not joining you. You don't bring your flavor of whatever you come from, some dysfunctional little church of 30 people that never, you've done nothing to change people's lives. You're, half your guys are still on the dole. You're too lazy to get a job. And you're, praise the Lord, brother, every time you see me. I said, don't embarrass me and don't dishonor my God. I'm not your brother. Bible <clears throat> said, don't, you know, if he steals and commits adultery he's not your brother <clears throat> he's not the same spirit I said the God that I know he told me to stop doing that stuff so we're obviously, obviously following two different gods two different Jesus is here I'm following the one of the Bible which one are you following man oh the one of my head so he's, I'm not a harsh person but I'm a realist and this is this is the church we had we had we had people like this and we had a divided house and no wonder we weren't breaking through no wonder the devil was taking out our people. No wonder we had no mana or favor of man or God. And so we use wisdom to put things right. We teach all our leaders. These are the This is our vision. I mean, this is where we're going. We're going to Wellington. Now, here's another bus going to Auckland. Don't hop off this one to go to Auckland. If you're if you're called of God to be on this church and we're going in this direction to try to bring spiritual, social, and economic reformation to 10,000 people in the East Coast, that's where we're going. If you want to hop on the prophetic bandwagon and just stay in the glory every Sunday, carpet, you go join those fellas. Or if you want to jump on the uh, 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 some other social welfare dependency bandwagon church, there you go. But this is our church. This is where God's called us to go. Okay, so we're established in the vision of where we're going. You've got to have one mind, one heart, one voice. You've got to all be going in the same direction. Amen. How can two walk together except they be agreed? <laughs> agreed. You've got to agree. You've got to be in agreement, number one. Values. No more divided values. No more double standards. Every one of my leaders says, you will tithe. If you don't, you'll step down. And you'll no longer smoke. <laughs> But where does it say in the Bible, don't you bring that crap to me. You won't smoke if you're going to be a leader in my house, in this house of God. Step down. Are you an example to your children? Are you an example to the new Christian? No. But they can't see it. Oh, God loves me. I know he loves you. He's not pleased with you. <laughs> and so I, I stepped a few leaders down. They wanted to step me out. <laughs> oh, whatever. Too bad. Because I do white too. <laughs> I used to box, eh? Anyway, we're not going there. And so, value, you've got to have the same values. You've got to. When kids came over to my place to play with my kids, we had kids around the corner from you know, street kids swearing drugs and so forth. When they came onto my property, I said, it says, hey, good to see you fellas. But in this house, on this, on this property, no swearing, no stealing, no hitting, no fighting. Well, you're out of here. And I'll tell your dad. But they respected me. And on our property, on our house, that's the values. And they love coming to our house. They love being with our kids. And, and, and so it's just, just common sense, goodness sake. It's just common sense. This church is a house. It's a family. We should have values. Amen. I mean, man, we need to honor God. And so, and so it's showing respect and honor. And, and, so, and, and the, you've got to be on the same values. Honor. Well, number hundredfold, give a hundred percent best. Live beyond capacity, not at capacity. Don't 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 just visit the place of uncomfortableness. Live there. If you want to break through, you've got to pay a sacrifice 
and go out of the comfort zone and out of the place you're familiar. If you want to stay where you're always in the place of familiarity and comfort, you just stay there and you'll never break through. You'll never grow as a person. You'll never grow as a business, as a marriage, as a family, or as a church. You've got to break out into the place that's uncomfortable and unfamiliar territory. That's what the Joshua generation had to do. Heck, Jesus lived there all the time. Do you think Jesus was comfortable every day knowing that the very people I'm healing are going to crucify me, knowing that I'm going to die a horrific death? He was not comfortable. He lived on the edge. And we only visited every now and again. Oh, I'm making a big sacrifice for God. I'm uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar territory, but it'll soon be over. Oh, now, oh, we've got new ground. Oh, I've got a new authority in my metron. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, but don't get too settled because God's going to call you out of that place of comfort. If you want to live on the edge, you've got to be willing to not visit this place, but live there. A lot of my leaders, they hadn't even visited there. <laughs> crazy we lost a third of our leaders and probably at least a third of our church to be hiding out the door this is a controlling church we can do whatever we like god loves me yeah i know whatever and it did hurt but you know what god said to me i'm not building my church out of those fellas you didn't lose them they weren't even part of your church (laughs) oh but i love them he says you love them but they didn't love you they weren't your sons and your daughters true sons and daughters will never leave the family They'll know that God has called them to this place to fulfill a purpose for him. And, and they'll be true sons. And as the false ones left, the sons arose. To this day, we have a church of sons and daughters who lay down their lives for the kingdom and for the cause of this church. They live for the vision of House of Breakthrough. It's not mine, it's God's. It's not my plan, it's God's. I'm not fulfilling my vision for tight Fitzy. I'm fulfilling his my plan for my people is for good, not evil, to give them a hope and a future. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I know our team together, that God gives us keys to, to start it. Okay? And so we're living for the vision. We've got one heart, one mind, one heart with the vision. Our values, we've got the same values. We, we, there's no discussion about tithing or, or attending church every Sunday. Or There's no discussion about showing honor and respect. There's no discussion about not forgiving your, your brother. No discussion. If you cannot live that way before God in your private life, you have no right being in the house of God as a leader. No discussion. Uh, Structure. The way we do things in the house, this is the way we're going to do it from now on. Anyone who comes into the house because they're good musicians, we don't put them up on the stage. No, we put them through foundations, a 16-week course. And we show them who we are, where we're going. We teach them about Jesus, but we also teach them about the culture of heaven in their hearts and their marriages and their families. I don't want somebody here playing like Eric Clapton, but at home they're beating, smashing the missus up or kicking the pus out of their kid. How does that honor and glorify God? Oh, but look at him, wonderful worship pastor. Oh, get real. It's crap. It doesn't honor God. It doesn't bring the presence of God. It doesn't honor God. And, uh, and so we teach them how to get their lives together. That's the structure. This is the way we do things now. Heck, come in. <laughs> it's a safe house. It's a house that brings honor to God. And the fourth thing is culture. The culture of the house. Loving, accepting. Don't take yourself too seriously. Look in the mirror every now and again and have a laugh. Okay? (laughs) We are expendable. God doesn't need to use us, but he wants to use us. Just chill, chill, chill. 
Chill. Think with your heart more than your head. You know, have the same culture, forgiveness, mercy. We get all sorts of nutters coming into the house. We get some murderers coming in. We get rapists coming in. We get, we've got cops in the church who keep the eye out let me know. Thanks, bro. <clears throat> keep an eye on the offering as it's going around. If they go out to the back of the toilets, you just go out there. If they go near our kids, boom, don't you go near my children. Don't you touch our mokapuna. I've got to protect these kids. Oh, God is love. God is love. God will forgive. I'm not going to have some nutter molest children in my church. It's been going on for centuries. It's all being exposed at the moment. Heck, man, how did that happen? Charismaniacs. You've got to have a culture in the house that's safe. It's got to be a safe house. Respect and honor. And we don't just turn a blind eye to things that are happening that we know shouldn't be happening in the house. You've got to protect your people. Amen? I'm sure you want me to protect your, your kids, your grandkids, if they came to church. Okay? It's a culture. Integrity, honor, respect, love, acceptance. How many have people, person, man come along with mini skirt, black stocking, short mini skirt, nice legs for a man. And, uh, so, but, uh, and I thought it was a girl. Get on, how are you? Because, oh, that's a blooming beard. He needs a shave. It's a man. <laughs> Hey, it's, she, he would sit up the front and turn around, who are you staring at? <laughs> people were worshipping God. Yeah, people just loved him. Just loved him. He went and hung himself you know, eventually. But, but our people still loved him. We get gang members coming with the patches on. Our people just loved them. That's the culture. That treat, the, treat them like Jesus. See, grace is for the humble, but judgment is for the rebellious. And we don't deal with, we don't compromise with rebellion. We deal with it. Grace is for problems and weaknesses, and we deal with that. But, but you've got to keep the balance. So we have one mind, one heart, one voice on the vision, on the values, on the culture, on the structure. This is what, what we had to do, build that foundation in the house in order for God to build on it. You say, but Jesus is a foundation pastor. He's not the foundation of the church. Read your Bible. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation of your salvation. Now the stone can you lay. But he's not the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the church, you know what it is? The apostle. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, 22. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. For God has said in the church first, the apostle, then the prophet. And the teacher, workers of miracles. Ephesians 4, 11. God gave gifts unto men, unto be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. If you want to bake a cake, put the right ingredients in. Right? If you don't put cocoa in, a chocolate cake, you're going to have a flop. If you don't have the right ingredients in building the house of God, you're going to have a flop. And for decades, pastors and teachers have tried to lead the church. Pastors and teachers feed the church. Apostles and prophets lead the church. Evangelists seed for the church. Got to get it right. And for years, we've had pastors and teachers. God bless them, honorable men and women. But they're not ordained to literally lead the church. Not according to the Bible. Apostles and prophets are. This is the new transition. This is what God is doing in Aotearoa and throughout the earth. He was maturing his people. Do you know what's going to mature his people? Ephesians 4. What ministries will bring the saints into maturity? The pastor and, and, and the teacher? The evangelist? No, the whole five. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. We're not saying the pastor and the teacher have got no place anymore. Heck, man, no. They're part of the ingredients of building the church of Jesus Christ. But we've got to recognize the round pegs are going to come out of the square holes now. And we've got to allow apostles and prophets in the leadership position of the churches and the evangelists to do the seeding and the pastors and the teachers to do the feeding. Are you? 
That's what we're doing in the House of Breakthrough. Round pegs, round holes. God said, you've got to do it like this. This is my recipe. This is how I build. Mm. This is what's happening. It's transition going on. You've got an apostle in your midst. This man's an apostle. This man and his wife together. God has called them. Mm. He's an apostle. Uh, you don't worship the title. It's just a function. So, but I'm just as important as I'm before God. Oh, or your insecurity will do that. <laughs> they'll say that. They'll do that to you. Listen. Of course you're in, it's just as important to God. You see, positionally we're all equal before God. He loves us all. It doesn't matter if you're an apostle or just a brand new Christian or a backslidden Christian. God still loves you. Amen? That's to say position. Say position. Position. Right, position. But function before God is different. You, we do not have the same function before God. God puts the functions in a different order. Apostle comes first, then prophet, and teacher, evangelist, pastor. Okay, so recognize, ah, this is my function. So if I'm put over here, this is where God wants, I'll prosper where he plants me. Because all, all the time I wanted to be a, an evangelist. And God said, no, I want you to be a pastor. I said, pastors are boring. They, they, they sit with old ladies and have scones, and it's boring. I don't want to be a pastor. I'm, I'm going to get soul saved. I'm going to Africa because you gave me a vision, and a prophet told me he saw me in a dark land. True. So I said, Jeff, we're going to Africa. She said, I don't want to go to Africa. So now God told me, you've got to come. The word says, go ye. Yeah, a, bit, a, bit, a bit raw, a bit dumb. Thank God I had a, a pastor who was a father. I said, Pastor John, I'm going to Africa. God, you know, you heard the prophecy. He says, no, I believe God wants you to be a pastor first. Yeah, before you go to the uttermost, you've got to be trained in your own Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem's on Maru. I said, What? says, yeah, you, you begin to pray about it. Because so, I love God. So I've been praying to God. A pastor? You don't want to be a pastor? He says, why would you do what you want to do and get nothing for it? Do you want to do what I want you to do and get something for it? I said, for sure. He said, I want you to be a pastor. Oh, okay. Sweet as. No problem. End of discussion. If that's what you want, because I'm just a soldier, a man under authority, and my confidence is in you. And what you want me to do, that's my success. So I said, John, yeah, I'll be a pastor. <laughs> so he put me on training in uh, 1986. I was uh, ordained or inducted as a pastor. Then, uh, but before that, I was an evangelist. You know, I didn't know what evangelist. I, le I kept leaving my mates to Jesus, and he said, you're an evangelist. But then, and then a few years later, he said, you're a pastor. Hey. And then God, I go to meetings, and I'm holding meetings, and all these weird things happening. I, I, can, I can smell sulfur. And God says, someone at the back's mocking me. Tell them hell is closer to them than they think. And that they will smell, the, that they will taste hell. I said, God says, you're mocking him and you, you're going to taste hell. And this lady came running up spitting. <laughs> I, there's sulfur in my mouth. And another man ran out, the, ran out the door screaming, cursing. Get this taste out of my mouth. Uh, what is that? This sort of weird stuff. Angels are coming to meetings. God would say, tell me their names and what they're going to do. And I was freaking out. And the man, he nearly died. Uh, what is that? The oh, all the weird stuff happening. And I said, am I a prophet? What am I? Prophets do this sort of stuff. And then I became a spiritual schizophrenic. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what I was. Am I a pastor? Am I a teacher? Am I an evangelist? Am I a prophet? I honestly, I, had, I was confused for about three years. I did. I don't know what because the anointing come on me at different times, and I would operate that anointing and be just as confused. And I'd be trying to be an evangelist, but a, the a prophet anointing was on me. 
And then I was trying to be a teacher, but an evangelist anointing is on me. I'm weird. God help me. And he acknowledged the different anointings now. I'm in training you and calling you to be an apostle. So I'm not an apostle because Paul planted churches and I'm not interested in that crap. I just want to serve you and see signs and wonders. He says, Peter didn't plant churches. Anyway, long story short, I, I found my identity in God. But the thing is, it's not my security. It's my relationship with him. That's my, that's my security. He can take it all away. It, it doesn't matter. My ministry is not who I am. It's who I am in the sight of God. I'm a redeemed son of God, bought by the blood. His, he is my treasure. He is my jewel. He's my everything next to me, my wife, kids, muckles. And then the church. My family, my wife and family come before the church. Oh, you're going to leave the family before. No, no, it's God's order. If you can't care for your own household, you're, a, you're an infidel. You're not worthy to look after the house of God. So, you know, you've got to get alignment in a leader's life. You've got to have alignment and so forth. Um, so I don't know how many points I covered there. I just lost them. <laughs> but anyway, that's how we've got generational one mind, one heart, one voice. We've all got to be of the same mind, same heart. And if you can't agree on it, we're not going to walk together. Not going to walk together. If we can't walk together, better to better to withdraw gracefully and honorably rather than resist what God is doing. God is doing something great in this church. You have no idea <laughs> what he's about to do. It's going to freak you out. It's freaking me out. I'll, I'll close with some, some practical things. Um, <clears throat> excuses that rob a person of being a servant. I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm too not interested in serving. Juggling. Juggling. Would you say juggling? Say it loud. Thank you, because you remind me if I say, what was I talking about? (laughs) It was juggling. Okay, serving. So what is Serving. Serving's your ministry. Serving, serving, serving. Serving isn't just completing a task. It's the way you complete the task. It's the way you complete the task. If I say to my wife, bros, there's some rubbish over there. You go and pick it up. It's not my ministry, pastor. I'll go get someone else to do it. Or, oh, okay. <laughs> That's not a servant. Just doing a task is not serving. It's the way you do the task with great love. And great passion. The most humblest servant is the greatest in the eyes of God. But no worries. I get people opening my door every time I go to church. I can open my own door, thank you. But I don't want to rob them of the opportunity of developing a servant heart. Yeah, so I let them open the door, thank you. Umbrella over the head. Actually, I'm getting wet because you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> It's the way they do the way they do the task. It's the way you do the task with great love and great passion. On a scale of one to ten, how much love and how much passion do you serve? The way that you serve in your ministry is it something you can say to younger Christians? Follow me as an example in the way I'm serving in this house. On a scale of one to ten, what could you say? One is crap. Ten is great. <laughs> okay. Always, you know, check yourself. Look in the mirror of. of uh, uh, look in the mirror of God's will. Look, look at the reflection. What is your life projecting? What are you seeing reflected back? 
Don't just look at it and listen to yourself. Ask others. Ask your pastor. I have sons and daughters coming up and say, you tell me if there's anything in my life. I said, no, you just come and ask me. <laughs> and if you say, ask me to tell you, I will. I will. <laughs> it, it's not what you like to hear sometimes, but it's what you need to hear. This is leaders. Passion scale. How much passion do you do serving God? You know, serving is a, is a privilege. It's an honor. Okay, juggling. <clears throat> I tried to juggle. I was going to juggle three balls, but I can't even do two. I can't even do one. I keep dropping them. So, so just imagine I'm juggling three balls. Woo! All right, cool. <clears throat> juggling. I'll tell you the parable of Bob, and then I'll close. Bob is hired to be the head watchman of a big factory. <clears throat> And he's taught by his boss how to do the job. He, he's given a checklist of things to do and accomplish every day of the week. Provided he makes these things number one priority, everything flows smoothly. Bob loves his job. He gives 110% every day. In the first year, Bob excels at his work. So he takes up, and, and so he excels. He takes up lawn, uh, lawn bowls as a hobby. <clears throat> and that's outside of work hours. He discovers, though, after a few weeks, months, that his hobby is taking up more and more of his time. Consequently, Bob's quality of service at work is lowered because his mind and heart are elsewhere. So Bob's boss goes over to Bob and he goes through the job description and the checklist of things that Bob was required to do that Bob used to love doing and his duties. But Bob still doesn't improve. Eventually, Bob starts to resent his boss and resent the work at the factory Instead of taking responsibility for his dysfunctional priorities, he starts to blame his boss for being unreasonable and demanding. The funny thing is that when Bob started the job, he loved it. He counted it as a privilege. He gave us 110 best every day. What went wrong? He allowed outside interests to become as important or even more important than his job. He's no longer consistent with what consistent with what he has already been taught from his boss. doesn't matter how many seminars he goes to, he's just not at that level anymore. Problem is, see, Bob had a responsibility to serve his boss and give his best. And while he's fulfilling that responsibility, if he was faithful in that responsibility, it would have made room for a promotion. Because if you're faithful in a little, Jesus says you're faithful in. Yeah. If you're, if you're not faithful in that, which is another man's, says in Luke. So... But what did Bob do? His responsibility is a ball. He picked up another ball and he tried to juggle two balls at once, two responsibilities at once, two events. But he couldn't. He only had hands for one. But if he was faithful to that one, perhaps he would have been promoted to another job. Perhaps he would have been, but he wasn't. He picked something up that he wasn't meant to pick up. And I find in leadership... I'm sick of hearing leaders say, well, I just don't have time and I've got to spend time with the family and uh, I'm just too tired. And We don't work how leaders hard. We, we, we prioritize. They must have at least three nights a week off. That's how we operate our house. We get, well, we're high-impact, low-maintenance people, but we learn how to work together. And if everyone's doing the, way, they're doing the way they should, then there's a smooth flow and we're working smarter, not harder. But when I hear a leader say, oh, I'm too tired unto this, invariably I find out he's picked up another responsibility outside of his ministry in the house, a hobby. It might be something like, uh, it might be something good. It might be, 
yeah, it might be just a, a, a hobby, nothing wrong with a hobby. But seek ye first the kingdom. And if your ministry is how to build the church, part of the kingdom. Uh, or they might pick up an attitude. <laughs> or that might be a tragedy in their life. Or it might be a great victory in their life. There's all sorts of things people can pick up to drop their responsibility. We just had a guy recently in our church. Uh, he brought his brother down from South Auckland. He was in the Crips gang member. He was well known with hundreds of the gangs up there, hundreds of the members. And brought him down from Auckland to get saved. Him and his, his, his partner and uh, this young guy, he got saved. He got saved, but he's still a bit rough on the edges, out in the party, out in the booze one night, and come home just a couple of weeks ago, and his partner stabs him in the heart and murders him. Murders him. I had to go and do the tangi up at Auckland. When I'm up there, there's hundreds of crips, and all they want is utu, utu, utu. They want to blame somebody. Uh, I said, um, you want somebody to blame? Blame your lifestyle. Too much booze, too much drugs, bro. Yeah, it wasn't the woman, it's your lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, and uh, now, now my lead, Mikey, the brother, tragedy. Has he dropped his responsibility? Man, that guy hasn't dropped out of church, hasn't dropped out of his ministry. He could have picked up that tragedy and dropped the ball. But I saw this man, and the cop told him his brother had been murdered. I saw this man weep. Then I saw him lift his hands up and says, God, I don't know why, but I give you praise in the midst of my darkness. I thank you for Ducky. I thank you that you loved him. And I give you thanks. Oh, man. Whew. Man, that's, that's, that's a son. That's a warrior. He didn't drop the ball because of a tragedy. He kept his responsibility, and he's serving even harder out in the house than ever before. It could be a tragedy. Could be family, could be a hobby, could be too busy doing, I don't know. Could be anything. But if you're, if you're too tired, you're too uh, uh, whatever, your ministry with this and all that, if you've dropped the responsibility, you drop the ball. And usually if a leader drops the ball, it's because they've taken up something that they shouldn't have. See, Jesus said, when you put the hand to the plough, don't look back. He had this problem. Fella said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, Foxes have got whole birds got ear, that nests, but I've got nowhere to lay my head. He said to another, Follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said, Leave the dead to bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to them which are at my home. Jesus said, No man putting his hand to the plow and looking back for the kingdom. Here they're being given an opportunity to serve God. <laughs> but first let me go back and pick something else up. Everybody wants to pick up something for God and serve God, but they, they drop the ball to go and pick something else up. In leadership ministry, responsibility, are you juggling? Are you juggling? Are you giving 100% to what God's called you to? Are you giving 100% to the service of the king that he is worthy of your service, giving him the best in your ministry? Or are you juggling? You don't have time, too tired to do this. You might have picked something up you're not meant to pick up. I love to do a lot of things. I love to be a cruise through the country on my Harley. I love to uh, I go to the. I love to plant a church in LA. I've heard the cries of the Hispanics crying out and the blacks crying out to God. Ah, I could go there and plant a church and be successful. I love to do that. I love to go to Cambodia and, and deal to some of those child prostitution rings and, and help build something. I love to do that, brother. <laughs> but I've dropped the ball in Tairafiti. I would drop the ball because I'm not called to pick those things up. No, this time anyway. Have you, picked, have you picked something up? Are you juggling? 
Have you dropped the ball? Anyway, Pastor Mike, I think uh, I'll just stop it at that. And uh, finish juggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to pray for you. Maybe. Maybe you would not like me to pray for you. I called an uh, altar call recently of our youth. I said, this is a call up for revolutionaries. Revolutionaries. 30 years ago, Helen Clark and uh, uh, a feminist movement, uh, several Marxists, homosexuals, uh, uh, secular humanists, they got together 30 years ago and they strategically planned how to systematically change the face of New Zealand society. Mm-hmm. And the number one enemy was the church. And they had to break down the values of Christianity and Judaism. And they saw the church as the enemy of sexual liberation, the enemy of all women. I mean, these are a bit of women have been hurt by men. Okay? I'm not getting at them. But, and so they, yeah, this is fact. This isn't some theory that I've got, some political agenda. It's, it's reality. And, um, and so they systematically tra- plan to get to infiltrate and change New Zealand society by getting into politics. They had to change legislation to make homosexuality acceptable and normal behavior. To make abortion should be on demand. They had a whole list of things going to, that, that they had to achieve in this nation. To, to, to um, outlaw smacking, to, to give free sex education, to increase sexual promis- uh, uh, promiscuousness. They had this checklist. I don't know how many things. And 30 years later, all those things are ticked on their list. All those things. I say this because 30 years ago, I was one of the charismatics singing to God, we're taking this nation for God, hallelujah. We're marching to war, hallelujah. And while we were singing about taking over the nation, the enemy was systematically and strategically taking it over under our very noses. While we're busy singing about it, they were actually doing it. 30 years has come and gone, and here we are again. We're not singing about it anymore. We have to learn how to, as kingdom churches, systematically and strategically take this nation back over and turn it around. And that means infiltrating politics. Mm -hmm. That means infiltrating local politics, business, education, health, media, the arts. We've got to slowly infiltrate, and that requires revolutionaries. That requires activists and radicals for the kingdom. Not waving a Bible on the street corner, shouting at people, not that sort of charismatic nutters, but training your life. We're training up young people to get degrees and diplomas and uh, political science and, and engineering and, and nursing and, and, and counseling. And we've got some already infiltrating into government and into, uh, we're at war, but we're planning strategically in the next 10, 20 years. We expect to see a great move of God, not just on Tairafati, hopefully joining with the churches like this throughout our nation. Okay? This is real. And so I call for revolutionaries, and I told my kids to think about it for a month, because when you come to be a revolutionary for Jesus, you can no longer have attitudes. <laughs> You've got to make the bed. You've got to tidy your room up. That's <laughs> yeah. all very right. You're going to die for Jesus on the mission field, but if you can't die for Jesus and you know, clean up your room and do your homework and show some respect to mum and dad, you're a dreamer. We're not going to raise up a, a, another generation of dreamers, of charismaniacs. We're going to raise up a real McCoy. And, all, and, and I didn't just have youth come forward. I had half the church, or well, more than you know, the church come forward to be revolutionaries. 
And so ever since that altar call, every now and again, I'll see somebody having a bit of an attitude. I say, you're revolutionary. Well, so that's the only sort of altar call I feel to give right now. If you want to be a revolutionary for the kingdom, if you want to be a, a, you know, a kingdom activist, a, a, a kingdom radical, then it starts within you. And only if you feel that's something you like to do. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I, I think this is just a precursor for what's going to happen tomorrow morning. And what's going to happen tomorrow night? Tomorrow morning I'm speaking about lifting the darkness, lifting the tapu of your city, lifting the darkness. And I'll, I'll talk to you about what to do. And Sunday night, tomorrow night, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'll show you how to do it. I'll, you'll be able to identify the sacrifice you are required to make, the specific sacrifice that God has given giving you to make for him. So tomorrow I'll show you what to do, uh, what, what he wants to do, and I'll show you tomorrow night how to do it. <sighs> want to be an activist? I deal with activists in India all the time, communists, Muslim, Hindus. I want to kill people all the time. They are true activists, but they're the wrong type. My church over there, our church over there, they are real activists. They're willing to die for Jesus. They're amazing. They humble me so much. As Pastor Mike has seen in Taiwan and China, and places he goes, and you know, you've been there yourselves. We are just in candy floss land. We're wusses. Yeah, we're pussies. Yeah, we ain't warriors. We're pussies. As, as in, this, in the Christian sense, generally speaking, you know, it's a bit cold. The heating's oh, no. The baptism water's cold. Heat it up. Over there, it's a bullet. Over there, they get a handful of rice. That's it. I don't like this restaurant. I want a nicer restaurant. Well, here's a handful of rice. That's all my brothers getting in there. And they give their best. I go there and I say, you do more for me than I can do for you. I get humbled every time I go to India. It's a reality check. Look in the mirror of reality. So if you want to come forward, then my honey might. David's men came to David. David said, if you come with peace, if you come to harm me, the God of heaven, judge. They said, no, we have come to support. Success to you, David, success. And he says, if you come in peace, then my heart is knit to you. They made it easy for David. They said, my ministry is nothing. I lay it at your feet. I know you, God has anointed you to be the king. And I want to give my life to help you fulfill the purpose of God because it would be good for our nation. Make it easy for your king in this house. He's not the king of kings, Pastor Mike. Jesus is. You're all kings. We're all kings. Amen. Kings and priests. But he, he's the king of this house in the sense of the apostle of this house. Make it easy for him. Be like those mighty men. And, and say, you have permission. To reshuffle me where in the army, wherever you feel. You have permission. I'm here to serve you. I'm among you as one who serves. And if you think my time I use by date is up here, my confidence is in God. And I just want to serve. I want to be the best place where I can make an impact. And if I'm a hindrance now instead of a help, 
I'm willing to move. My ministry is not my treasure. My relationship with God is my treasure. And I'm successful in serving in this house. Hallelujah. Might get a lot of visits through the week, Pastor Mike. You might get a lot of phone calls through the week. But I'm serious. This will make it much easier. It will prepare your heart. It will allow your captain to get the troops in alignment a lot quicker, a lot faster. For goodness sake, there's a battle going on. People are dying and going to hell. We've just got to get over our little squabbles. We've got to suck things up and just get moving. People are being murdered in their sleep. Babies are being molested. Marriages are being destroyed while the church is playing games. God says, my people, walk off the job. They walk off the job. Can I find a house? Can I find a people that will not walk off the job? Be like Ezra. And they'll put their hand to the job and they'll complete what I have put in their heart to do and put a wall of protection around the city. Then I might build my house in this place. And and so, Father, this uh, I shared that fruit salad message and your people have responded to something. Father, I thank you for this great house. I thank you we are the warriors of the east. We're the east gate guardians. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. But Lord, you've called us more to be a doorkeeper. You've called us to usher in through the doorway those who are lost, but also to break out of that doorway and to wage war against the enemy of our souls, of God of heaven. And so Father, as you look upon your warriors here, here in the east, under the eastern skies of Hawke's Bay, Father, as your eyes gaze upon these, he says, my eyes run across the face of the whole earth. Now I'm seeking to show myself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are blameless toward me, submitted, humbled, and friendly toward me. May your eyes, Father God, may your eyes be in Pastor Mike and Joy. May your eyes be in the, your lead, these leaders here. And may they see as you see. And may your mind be in their mind. And may they think as you think. And may your heart be in their heart and your spirit in their spirit. May they be the Joshua generation. May they be the Caleb's that see, the sac- see beyond the sacrifice. They see the promise. They see the result. They see the, the blessing of the sacrifice that is to be made in crossing the Jordan. Grey, shakata, madara, madara.